Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Last week we started a series that we called First Things First. We're talking about the power of priority. And so often in life we struggle because we have not prioritized the right things. And so we're talking about in this new year some things that we ought to prioritize. And I want to start in Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll read starting in verse number 19. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Verse 19, now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Find your fit. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, find your fit. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to come together and to worship you today. Lord, thank you for what you did in 2022. And God, we're looking forward to even celebrating some of the report of 2022 in the weeks to come. But Lord, we're praying that you would do abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine in 2023. Lord, we're praying that this would be a year of salvations, that this would be a year of uh, those uh, getting baptized and identifying with you. Lord, we're praying that there would be children in the children's ministry uh, saved and growing in their knowledge of you this year, that there would be teenagers uh, in local high schools that are reached with the gospel this year. We're praying that families would be reunited this year and that uh, wayward children would come home this year. Lord, we're praying that you would uh, cultivate within us hearts of faith, that we would not be characterized by our fear, but that we would be characterized by our faith. Lord, I pray that we would understand this morning the power of priority. Lord, I pray that we would understand that there are certain things in life that must be first. Uh, And Lord, I pray that we would understand how to put first things first. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you enjoy cooking or baking? Anybody like that? Cooking or baking? Uh, the other day, Katie was out with the kids for a few hours, and so I decided of my own volition, a great idea, that I was going to bake Katie some cookies while she was gone. Now, for some of you, that is not a big deal, but let me tell you today, for me, that's a very big deal because I've never baked cookies in my entire life, and so I thought, I'm going to figure this thing out, and so I looked up a YouTube video. I got a recipe, and I started to get all the ingredients together, and I was laying them all out on the counter, and two my dismay. We did not have all the ingredients, and so I did not bake Katie cookies that day. So uh, pray for me. I want to do that. That's one of my New Year's resolutions for this year. And uh, I did not have all the right ingredients. You know, when you're getting ready to bake something or cook something, you better make sure that you have all the right ingredients and components to uh, make whatever it is that you're making. There's an old saying that says, uh, if you want to make rabbit stew, how many of you are interested in making rabbit stew? Okay. If you want to make rabbit stew first, catch the rabbit. Because without the rabbit, there is no stew. It's a, it's a principle. It's a statement of priority. And the reality is today, many people, many followers of Jesus, they want the blessings of Christianity. They want the fruit of Christianity, but they're not willing to catch the rabbit. 
they're not willing to do the first things. They haven't learned to prioritize the first things. And there are certain ingredients, there are certain components in the Christian life that we have to prioritize, that we have to put first. We saw last week the starting point, the foundational point is the Word of God, uh, that we have to build our lives on the foundation of God's word and cultivate a relationship with God through his word and, and through spending time in prayer. And this week, for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about the power of community and how God has called us and instructed us time and time again in scripture to prioritize being together in fellowship, being together in community. We see this all throughout the scripture. We even see in the early church in the book of Acts that they were committing themselves and devoting themselves to koinonia, that, that fellowship of doing life together together, we see all throughout scripture the power of priority. But often, even amongst followers of Jesus, we don't prioritize community like we should. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. There's all kinds of reasons why we don't get plugged into a small group or we don't join a serve team or we're, we're not even faithful to come to church, perhaps even on a Sunday. There's all kinds of reasons for that. Uh, there is an author, a Christian writer, Tom Rainer. He's a Christian leader and author, and he conducted this, uh, this uh, Twitter poll where he asked a lot of pastors to give some excuses from their church members of why they don't go to church or why they missed going to a church service. And he wrote down a bunch of them, and uh, I, I gathered three. Would you like to know what they are today? Uh, these were three of my favorite ones. Number one, these are real excuses uh, that, that were given to these pastors. Number one was this, we were out of peanut butter. They couldn't go. I don't know what the story behind that is, but I'm actually very interested to know why they couldn't come to church because they were out of peanut butter and that was a crisis. Uh, the second one was this. My wife cooked bacon for breakfast and our entire family smelled like bacon. And so we could not come to church. You know, here's the truth. Bacon aroma is actually a good thing. You are welcome here. This is a place where anyone that smells like bacon can come in. No problem at all. Uh, the third one was this. The worship leader pulls up his pants too often. It's distracting. Thankfully, I don't think we have that problem here, but if we do, let me know, and uh, we'll try to get that fixed as soon as possible. Uh, can I tell you today that there's no such thing as a perfect church? There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you say, well, I'm not going to go to church because there's hypocrites, and there's people that are judgmental, and there's people that are, are mean, that's like saying you're not going to go to the gym because there's out-of-shape people in the gym. Yeah, we know. That's why we're going. That's why we're here. We're all messed up, imperfect people, worshiping a perfect Savior who is worthy of our worship, who's worthy of our praise. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And so we shouldn't let petty issues and differences keep us from the house of God. And so all throughout Scripture, we see this, this hallmark priority of community. D.L. Moody said this, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. And so church attendance is absolutely vital. Thank you so much uh, for that. And so we have to understand that this is a vital component to spiritual growth. Uh, how many of you today, anybody get claustrophobic? I'm learning that as I get older, I'm getting more and more claustrophobic. Like it just, it just hits me at certain times. The other day I was in the backseat of a small car and it just kind of hit me out of nowhere. I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like I need to get out of here immediately. And uh, uh, it's not good being claustrophobic. I I I've been stuck in an elevator two different times in my life. The first time I was stuck in the elevator was over an hour long and the elevator kept on uh, jolting up and then jolting down, just kept on going back and forth. We were hitting that emergency button, you know, that little emergency button in the elevator and just, just uh, everybody's freaking out in the elevator, just kept on going up and down and being stuck inside that elevator. I was thinking about this, elevators are awkward. How many of you have ever felt awkward in an elevator, right? You like walk in there and it's just kind of kind of weird for a second. In fact, um, can you guys, uh, Katie and Julie and Nick and, and Mallory, can you come up here for a second? 
Ricky, you come up here too. Caden, you too, come on. Can't, can't leave you out. Wake up, Caden, come on. You know, I was thinking about this. You guys all just stand right here. You're all in the elevator, okay? You know, elevators are awkward, and you guys all face me like you're in the elevator. You're all, come, come this way, come this way. There you go, right there. Good, good, good. Let's give it up for our volunteers this morning. They're in an the elevator. You know, elevators can be awkward because you can go and, and you press the button, and then you wait, and the door's open, and everyone in the elevator is annoyed because now they have to wait longer because you have just slowed their journey down, right? And, and now you have to come in, and, and uh, you come into the elevator, and then they have to wait for you. And, and uh, you always kind of feel like an outsider until you go into the elevator, and everyone's kind of irritated with you. But something happens. Something happens when you enter into an elevator. And actually, there's been psychology studies on this. It's called the elevator turn. You've all done it. You go into an elevator as an outsider, but you don't just stay no. facing forward, looking at the person in the elevator, do you? That would be very uncomfortable. Just try that the next time. You go into an elevator. How are you doing today? What do you do? You walk into an elevator, and everybody does the same thing. You do it just unconsciously. You go in, and you make the turn. And you know what happens when you make that turn? You come in as an outsider, and all of a sudden, you turn, and now you are an insider. And you become one of the people. And then the next person that comes and presses the button, now you're annoyed with them, that you have to wait for them in the elevator, right? And so you go from being an outsider to an insider. Here's what I believe today. Everybody with me this morning? Here's what I believe, that when it comes to the church, when it comes to the house of God, you guys can stay here, elevator. No, no, Rikia, stay here. Just stop. You can't go out the back of an elevator, Rikia, okay? Here's what I believe, that when it comes to the church, when it comes to the house of God, that what we ought to do is we need some followers of Jesus that would come into community and say, you know what, I'm not going to make this uncomfortable. I'm going to make the turn, and I'm going to go from being an outsider to an insider and say, you know what, I'm going to strive together with the people of God for the glory of God. I'm going to strive together in the same direction with harmony, with unity, and I'm going to say, you know what, we're going to reach more people with the good news of the gospel because I am one of the people. There is a perfect fit for every follower of Jesus us in the house of God. But you have to be willing to make the turn. If there's not a level of commitment, you're going to feel awkward. You're going to feel, I don't fit in. Because there hasn't been a level of commitment. I'm here. I'm committed. I'm rooted. Thank you so much for being up here. Wonderful elevator participants this morning. You know, that's why at Rock Hill, we encourage people when you've been coming to Rock Hill for a while and you decide Rock Hill is your church home, that we don't say things like they do a good job and they're doing this and they do. No, we say we. This is my church. We do this and, and we go to this place. Why? Because we want to make that turn going from being an outsider to an insider. Now, to, to fully unpack this from a biblical perspective, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And Paul is addressing and writing uh, the church to the church at Ephesus. When Paul was on his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 19, he started the church at Ephesus. About 10 years later, he's in prison in Rome, and now he's writing back to this church in Ephesus. And he's writing to a group of people, specifically the Gentiles, that felt like outsiders. They felt like, man, we don't belong. We don't fit in. There's no place that we can go and fit in here. And so Paul was reminding them and telling them uh, to consider their identity in the gospel. And if they would consider their identity in the gospel, they would recognize that they belong, that there is a seat at the table for them, that they are a perfect fit in God's house, in God's community. Now, uh, to kind of give us a little bit of context this morning, to get our bearings a little bit, uh, I want to read a few verses earlier in Ephesians chapter number two. And if you have your Bibles open, I want to encourage you to grab them. And let's start reading for a second here in verse number 11. Everybody with me this morning? 
It says in verse number 11, he says, wherefore, remember. Everybody say, remember. He says, you've got to remember, wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So he's addressing here this group of Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And he says, I want you to remember your life before Christ. I want you to consider, remember what your life was like in times past. Uh, This month is January. And I was reading last week that uh, the month January that we're in is named after a false mythological Roman god, Janus. And we have a picture this morning. This is Janus. And it's depicted with a face looking forward and looking backward because Janus in January is supposed to remind us to look to the past as we consider our future, to remember uh, the past and remember to look forward in the future. And I believe that this is a healthy reminder for followers of Jesus today that we ought to remember uh, life before Christ so that we can be filled with gratitude for what God has done in our lives. That that we were dead in our trespasses and sins if it were not for the grace of God. And so Paul is telling the Gentile people, consider what Jesus has done for you. Consider your life uh, before him. Let's keep reading verse number 12. It says this, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. They They were outsiders. They felt like, man, we don't fit in. They were strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, they were without Christ. The most tragic thing in verse number 12, the most tragic statement in verse number 12 is that they were without Christ. The most tragic thing that could be said about anyone in the world today is that they are without Christ. Because you could have all the money in the world. You could have all the friends in the world. You could have all the confidence in the world. You could have all the opportunities in the world. But if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. What will it profit a man if he'll gain the whole world but yet lose his own soul? And so if you are without Christ, you have nothing. And he's saying, hey, remember life before Christ. Remember how you were felt like an alien and a stranger and a foreigner of the commonwealth of Israel. But then he keeps going in verse number 13. He says this, but now. Everybody say, but now. Good news. In Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes afar off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath broken, who hath both uh, made one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Uh, See, when Paul wrote this letter, there was a literal physical wall standing in the temple that the Gentile people were not allowed to enter into. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that at certain intervals and barriers, there were signs in the temple that were in both Greek and Latin to the Gentiles, warning them, saying, do not enter lest you die. There was a physical wall that separated, that ostracized the Gentiles from the Jews. And what Paul is saying is this, good news. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that wall has been broken down and racial reconciliation is possible. Uh, There is restoration that is possible. And anybody thankful today that Jesus broke down that wall so that we can walk in peace, that we can walk in harmony, that we can walk in unity? He's saying that wall has been broken down. In other words, he's telling the Gentile people that felt like outsiders, you belong. There's a place for you. You fit in in God's plan, in God's family. And that's what he is teaching here in Ephesians chapter 2 as we look to verses 19 through 21. 19 through 22, this gives us the context. And what I want to do today is I want us to see three reminders of why we belong and why we fit in the context of spiritual community. I want to give us three reminders today. Number one is this. We are citizens of God's kingdom. 
We are citizens of God's kingdom. Now, let's start at verse number 19. It says this. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. So he's writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to the church at Ephesus that felt as though they were outsiders. And he says, I want you to know that you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are no longer a foreigner. You are a citizen in God's kingdom. Now, if you've ever traveled outside the United States, you have to bring your passport with you. And you want to make sure that you have your passport with you at all times because your passport shows your citizenship. It shows your uh, belonging. And you don't want to lose that uh, because you don't want to get stuck in a foreign place. I remember several years ago, I was in Costa Rica and we were at a Wendy's in downtown San Jose, Costa Rica. And the power went out in all of the city. Everything just went uh, down. Everything went dark. We were in a Wendy's. And I'll never forget when we were in there, the owner of that Wendy's rushed over to the door and he locked the door and then he barricaded the door instantly. And I remember asking the missionary, uh, Ed Bordell, who many of you have met, uh, I asked him, what's going on? Why is he locking the door? And he said, when the power goes out, uh, especially if it's for an extended period of time, there's going to be looting, there's going to be riots, there's going to be some chaos in the streets. And so that made me kind of nervous. And, and the, that, that owner of the Wendy's, he just barricaded the door. And we uh, were trapped in there for the next hour or so. And we heard people screaming. We heard glass breaking. We heard uh, people running in the streets. It was certainly an unsettling moment. The power didn't come back on, but eventually we had to walk about a mile back to our hotel. We kind of all stayed in a tight group, and we kind of just felt unsettled, just nervous being in a foreign country with kind of chaos going on all around us. And here's what Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus here in verse number 19, that as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel like a foreigner kind of constantly checking to make sure that you have your passport and making sure that everything is okay. You can rest assured that you are a citizen in God's kingdom, that you belong, uh, that you have a place here. Now, in the Roman world, they were extremely proud of their citizenship because with their citizenship came uh, rights and privileges. And so they were very proud of this citizenship. And Paul is saying, ultimately, your citizenship is in heaven. It's a part of God's kingdom. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, for our conversation our lifestyle, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your uh, license, your address might say Fontana or Rancho Cucamonga or Upland. Uh, uh, your license might say that, but ultimately your address, your citizenship is in heaven. By the way, for that, we should be thankful and we should recognize that, man, we belong to another realm. We belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if you think that way, it'll change the way that you live. It'll totally change your perspective because you will not live for temporary things that don't matter, but you will live for eternal things and things that will live on and, and go beyond. First John 2, uh, 15 says this, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What we are so often doing in, in our culture today in 2022 is we are distracted by our own little kingdom. We're, we're distracted by what's going on in our world and what's going on uh, in our country. Now, it's good to be informed. It's good to understand what's going on in the world today. But so often we are fixated on the temporary, on the temporary kingdoms, and we forget the fact that we are citizens in God's kingdom. Max Lucado said this, the greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you are not. And so we have to recognize today, right off the bat, that we are citizens of God's kingdom. This is what he says. But then he goes on and he makes it even more personal. Here's a second thought today. Number two is this. Not only are we citizens of God's kingdom, but number two, we are members of God's family. 
Notice in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, that we are members of God's family. This past year was the first time that our kids uh, really were old enough to watch the Olympics. How many of you enjoy watching the Olympics at all? And uh, the Olympics is always interesting because you end up watching sports that you never are interested in any other time, but it's like, oh, the United States is curling. Okay, we got to watch the curling event to make sure that, you know, to see who wins. And so uh, my kids, they were really interested in that. And every time there was an event on, we were kind of watching to see who was going to win. And we were cheering and rooting for our country. But the reality is, is we didn't really know any of those athletes personally. We were cheering for our country, but we didn't, we didn't have a personal connection with them. There's a difference between being a citizen of the same country and being a member of the same family. And here Paul kind of changes gears and he switches up metaphors from being a citizen in God's kingdom to now being a member of God's family. Now he gets really intimate and personal that we are brothers and sisters, that we are mothers and fathers with the same heavenly father. We are a part of God's family. And Paul is is demonstrating this intimate relationship that we have. In Hebrews it says this, in Hebrews 3 verse number 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, watch this, whose house are we? That we're a part of that household, that we are a part of God's family. It goes on in First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar of the ground uh, and the ground of the truth. And so we have to recognize that the church is compared to a household. Now, please hear me this morning. Everybody with me? Yes. The church is not a hotel. The church is a household. You know, I like going to hotels. Hotels are great. You can use as much shampoo as you want. You can use as many towels as you want. You don't have to make your bed. And if you do make your bed at a hotel, you're kind of weird. I don't know why you would do that. You know, hotels, hotels are great. You can relax. Be very careful that you don't treat the church like a hotel. A place that you can kind of just come in. There's no accountability. You just kind of come and go as you please. And you kind of just wave to the person at the front desk, but you don't have a real relationship with them. And uh, be careful that you don't use the church or treat the church or view the church as a hotel when in reality the church is compared to a household because in a household there's responsibility. In the household there's accountability. In the household, there's love, there's nurture. And so we have to be very careful how we view the church. And Paul says, hey, you are a member of God's family. Now, uh, no family is perfect. How many of you have some distant relatives that you see every once in a while? It's always interesting. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? No family is perfect. Uh, I shared this um, a couple of years ago. My youngest daughter, Blakely, uh, she was in this habit of drawing she had a pink marker and she was drawing little pink ladies all over our house, like, like on the walls, on the ground, on chairs. We would just kind of go everywhere and we would try to wipe them up. Uh, but still to this day, we are discovering little pink ladies that she drew that, that we would, uh, the other day I went out to just take the trash out and I just noticed on the side of our house, on the stucco, there was a pink lady. I'm like, Blakely was here. And, uh, and uh, she's constantly drawing those little things. Can I tell you uh, that it doesn't matter how many pink ladies that uh, Blakely draws. It doesn't matter how many times uh, she does that. And it could be frustrating. We could tell her not to do that. But can I just tell you, she's always a part of our family. She's always going to be a part of our family. No matter what she does or what she says, she's a part of the family. Can I tell you that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, that you are a part of God's family and that God loves you more than you could ever imagine? And Paul is saying, hey, not only are you a citizen of God's kingdom, but you are a member of God's family. 
This is good news. This is encouraging for us. Uh, we have a place in the family of God. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so we are citizens. We are family. And here's a third thought, and I want to park here for a little bit. We are stones in God's temple. We are bricks in God's temple. And so not only are we citizens, not only are we family, but here Paul is going to talk about our place, our specific place in God's house. Now, uh, notice the foundation in verse number 20. If you can see verse number 20, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse 20. He says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so he says uh, that we are built and are built, the church, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, uh, we know that ultimately Christ is the foundation. We sang about it this morning, that he is the cornerstone. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so he is our foundation. But what Paul is saying here is that the apostles and prophets help lay that foundation through their teaching and preaching and through their sound doctrine. By the way, if we're going to be a healthy church in 2023, we have to be committed to sound doctrine. We have to be committed to the scriptures. We have to be committed to the teaching and preaching of God's word. They help lay that strong foundation. And uh, the Bible says in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so we have this responsibility to be committed to sound doctrine. So we see the foundation uh, that was laid by the apostles and prophets. But then it says this in verse number 20, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's the chief cornerstone. Now, in ancient culture, everyone understood the significance of the cornerstone. The cornerstone was that foundational piece by which everything else was measured. Uh, the architect would lay things out. They would have one massive stone. They would, they would level it. They would measure it. And then every other stone was measured to that cornerstone to make sure that everything was in alignment with that foundational piece. It was often called the stone of testing. That when you were building, that you would find other rocks, that you would find other things, and you would align it with that cornerstone. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Uh, he that believeth shall not make haste. And so uh, the prophet Isaiah said there's coming a time when a true cornerstone will come, a true foundation will come. And that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the cornerstone. And everything that we do should be measured according to that perfect standard of Jesus. You know, we get in trouble whenever we measure ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves. Yeah. Jesus is the standard. How many of you enjoy hot sauce on your food? All right. People are starting to wake up. Hot sauce, where? <laughs> Tabasco fans? All right. Tapatio? All right. Some of you are like, get back to the Bible. Tabasco sauce is interesting. Everybody with me? I'm going somewhere with this. Tabasco sauce is interesting because it has a very consistent color of red in the bottle which is fascinating because Tabasco does not use any food coloring. So how do they get that same level of consistency, that same color of red in all of their product? 
what they do is, is when the farmers are out in the field and they're picking those peppers, they carry with them, they're required to carry with them if they work for Tabasco, that they have something, it's a little stick, it's called the Baton Rouge. It literally means red stick. And so they have this Baton Rouge, this little red stick, and every pepper that they pick, they have to make sure that it matches the same color as that red stick. And if it doesn't match that red stick, they throw the pepper out, they don't use it. They have to measure it and follow the right example. Can I tell you that if you want to grow spiritually in 2023, that if you want to keep on going and keep on thriving in your walk with God, you have to make sure that you are emulating the right example. Often we're far from where God wants us to be because we're emulating the things that we see in the world. We're emulating things that we see in culture. We're emulating things that we see on CNN or Fox News. We're emulating things that we see uh, on social media. When the only perfect standard is Jesus Christ, he is the cornerstone. He is our solid rock. He is our foundation. And we shouldn't compare ourselves among ourselves because Jesus is the standard. And so Paul is saying, hey, that, that the apostles and prophets, they laid this foundation and Christ himself is the cornerstone. But then he goes on in verse 20, 21 and 22, and he says that we are the stones, that we are the bricks. Notice it in verse 21. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Verse number 22. In whom you also, ye also, you, he's saying here is your place in God's house. Uh, you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What is he saying? You have a place in God's house. That you are a stone in God's temple. That you are a brick in God's house. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That you are, did you notice in verse number 20, it says, verse number 21, that you are fitly framed together. Fitly framed together. That means that in God's house, it's a perfect fit. It's a snug fit that you belong. That in God's house, there are no loose pieces. We're fitly framed together. This week, I've been helping my son Luke build a couple of Lego sets that he got for Christmas. I mentioned it last week. And, uh, and uh, we've been putting together some Legos. And what's satisfying about Legos is when you put them together, uh, they have this perfect snug fit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When it, when it just clicks together, it just, it just fits perfectly. Why? because that's what they were designed to do. Can I tell you, the same could be true about your life. That you are designed for community. That you are not designed for isolation. A Lego in isolation is dangerous. Have you ever stepped on one? But a Lego in community can be a beautiful thing. We were not designed for isolation. We were not created for isolation. We were created for community. And here Paul is saying, if you feel like, man, I just don't think I fit in. He, he's saying, hey, I want you to recognize that the church, we are fitly framed together. Yeah, there's some messed up things. And yeah, there's, there's, some, there, there's some issues. And just like every family has struggles that we're working through, we're striving to be formed into the image of Christ. But we are in God's family. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And we are stones and bricks in God's house. And that means that every person has a purpose every person has a place today that means that we believe that every member is a minister that every saint is a servant that it's not just hey they're doing this over there no we are striving together for the faith of the gospel that we have a purpose and a place we're fitly framed together we're stones in God's house Paul Tripp said this we weren't created to be independent autonomous or self-sufficient 
We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God and in a loving and humble inter interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources that God has given us. Today, I don't know how God would lead, lead you. I don't know how God would speak to you in this idea of community, whether it's joining a small group or getting on a serve team or being faithful to God's house on Sunday mornings. But I would encourage you, how would God have you make the turn? To say, you know what? I'm not just going to be an observer on the outside. I'm going to make the turn and decide, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to strive together, work together for the faith of the gospel. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. You are a member in God's family. You are a brick in God's house. You know, this past Monday night, we witnessed a tragic moment with the injury of Damar Hamlin, and I'm sure many of you saw or saw updates and have been following this story, and we need to continue to pray for his recovery. Uh, praise the Lord that he's seemingly on the men. But you know what I found fascinating about that Monday night football game and the subsequent days to follow was how many people were unashamedly praying out to God. People were praying and kneeling on the field. People were praying on live television. No one was hiding it. No one was disguising it. No one was discouraging it. In fact, everyone was encouraging prayer and everyone is encouraging prayer. Why? Because deep down within all of us, there, there is an awareness of God. There is an awareness that we need God. Because when tragedy strikes, we don't look within, we look above. And today, if you are here in this room or if you're watching online and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, this is how we can enter into God's family. This is how we know that we fit, that we belong. The Bible says this in John 1:12. but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, the children of God in God's family, even to them that believe on his name. And today, if you've never made that decision in the room or online, I would encourage you, today can be that day where you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and he welcomes you into his kingdom, welcomes you into his family, and you discover that you have a purpose and a place in God's house. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.